Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. And a very, very happy Halloween. And a reminder that Halloween is a good and proper Christian holiday and should be celebrated with great gusto. But as also today is our Totenfest. It's a German festival, literally means Feast of the Dead, and it still remains a state holiday in Germany. So it's a, it's a bank holiday in Germany, everything's shut down. Um, and we celebrate it because we're of German extraction here at St. John's Church. We were part of the Evangelical Church, part of the movement of early German uh, uh, immigrants that came here to Grand Rapids, and we worshiped in German for about 40 years. Um, but today is a day when we seek together some kind of common understanding of our remembrances of the dead who have died in Christ. So let us begin in prayer. God of the living and God of the dead, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds will be pleasing and acceptable unto thee, our guide and our destination. Amen. I don't know about you, but around this time of year, I get pretty exhausted. Um, a year ago, last uh, March or February, Heather and I bought a homestead, like a, with a farm, and I have to do farm things now, which is, was never really a thing that happened when I lived downtown Kalamazoo. Uh, I had some minor weed whacking uh, that I had to accomplish, uh, but now I have to like cut down trees and feed animals, and it's, t it's tiring, and it's harvest time. It's time to like bring in the sheaves, or the deer will eat them. And then we have to bring in the deer, because we will eat them. Uh, and and the, snow, the snow is getting ready to, to fall, and I've never before in my life been panicked about whether or not the ground is going to freeze, because um, I have holes that it must be dug. But I'm, and I'm almost 40 years old, I know. It's, oh. <laughs> but I'm getting to that point in life where I know that every day, I'm going to have a little bit less energy than the day before. So, but I got to push on. I'm waiting on that resurrection, Lord. A sacrifice bit. Ah, here and there. Working on a building. A Holy Ghost building. I want to talk about sacrifice today. The sacrifice that Zacchaeus makes in the face of his own personal resurrection. And that resurrection, in any case, requires something to die can't have resurrection without death. I think that Zacchaeus' resurrection is new life upon encountering Jesus is so profound. I almost always have to, to bring this up, though, because we don't really know. We always sing that song about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree and all that stuff. But the Bible doesn't actually say that Zacchaeus is short. It doesn't specify whether it's Jesus or Zacchaeus who's short. Let me read this again. So, Zacchaeus, uh, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. The he there could refer to Zacchaeus or it could refer also to Jesus. Um, so if you're a short person, take heart. It's entirely possible that Jesus was as well. Um, I just always have to point that out because it's in the rabbinic literature. It is a, uh, it is a truth that as we approach uh, old, as we, as we grow older, life becomes more nuanced and less clear. I remember when life was as clear as a diamond. I think that many of you know today that it's often not. We get tired in that nuance, in that challenge. 
Uh, I'm not trying to stand up here and pretend like I'm old and I've seen everything, but I am tired, and I share some of your exhaustion around this time of the year. I'm tired of this um, stupid and endless political season. I remember when there was election season, and it, now it's just like eternally election season. It's endless. And the madness of these last couple of years has been exhausting. So I've also, I've been reading Zacchaeus, and I, but I've also been reading Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. Ezekiel and his exhaustion is told to prophesy to bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And Jesus prophesies to Zacchaeus and says, today salvation has come to your house. Your house. I think about that wind from Ezekiel blowing into the home of Zacchaeus, this resurrection that takes place. But for the resurrection to happen, first we must overcome our fear. And that is, that's the challenge that's set before us. About a decade ago, I decided to upgrade my first aid readiness certifications in order to become an emergency medical technician. Uh, I am a Boy Scout and an outdoors person, and so I decided to go with the EMTW program. It's a wilderness EMTs. Um, these are EMT wilderness first responders, typically work in state parks um, and other places where the time to definitive care or the time when you're transporting a patient is going to be greater than one hour. Um, if it's less than an hour, then you're not in a wilderness setting. So we learned some additional stuff about how to keep people, how to keep their blood inside their bodies for a little bit longer because it's going to take them a little bit to get to the hospital. Um, I completed the training and the exams, and um, I, after I passed the test, I volunteered with the Red Cross, and I traveled to Palestine. I was sent to the West Bank in Palestine with their international partner, which is the um, Palestinian Red Crescent Society. And at the time, I was still in seminary, I'd been awarded uh, a grant to do some overseas mission or ministry work by the wonderful folks at the Lilly Foundation, and they approved my idea of building a playground in uh, Bethlehem for the children who lived in Bethlehem, specifically for the children whose moms went to a college in Bethlehem. It was a college for mothers who had children, and so it was appropriate that we would build a playground there for the kids to play on while our moms took class. It was a great idea. It was Bethlehem. Come on. It's like a mile from where Jesus was born, right? So that's what I did. Um, and during my time there, during the day, uh, half of the week, I would work as a, as a medic in the West Bank and uh, drive an ambulance. And then during my off hours, I would figure out how to build a playground under military occupation. Later on in life, I taught, uh, ended up teaching classes at Western Michigan University in the Department of Health, Physical Education, and Recreation because of my interest in playgrounds and the importance of play and physical activity for children. Um, teaching those classes at Western is actually how I uh, paid for Heather's engagement ring. Uh, that's another story. So anyway, I was in Palestine. I was doing two things. I was building up playgrounds, and I was riding around in ambulances and trying to take care of people. Most Americans don't know very much about Palestine. It's weird because uh, we talk about it at least once a year when Christmas comes around. They know that it frequently occurs in the same sentence as the word Israel. I wanted to go to Palestine because my family 
uh, is made up of Christians and Jews. And uh, I have family living on both sides of the green line in Israel. And there are many Jewish people living in Israel. And there are hundreds of thousands of Christians living in Palestine. Uh, and the Palestinian Christians and the Palestinian Muslims are living under Israeli military occupation. It's an impossibly painful situation, but it's one that I wanted to learn more about. Um, and I learned more during that time than I could share with you if I had a thousand sermons. But I also learned, like Zacchaeus, I think, I learned a great deal about myself, and I learned how I react under fear and stress. Now, I do some of my best work when I'm under stress. Every preacher knows about the Saturday night special. Sunday morning never doesn't come, and you got to have a sermon ready. So that's some stress. But fear is a very different beast. Fear, I think, is in those old dead bones that Ezekiel has to prophesy to. Fear maybe is in the heart of Zacchaeus, confronted with the presence of God, the knowledge that he's done wrong, and he must change. Was he afraid to give up all of his money? I don't know. There is a prophecy from fear that breathes life into the bones. It was a small village um, near where I was living called Belain, or Belin. It's a farming village. They're olive farmers. They grow olive trees. Now, they've made documentaries about this village. There was one uh, made by a friend of mine, Ahmad Bernat, called Five Broken Cameras. It's about the village. It won all kinds of awards. It was nominated for an Oscar. I'd encourage you to check it out, Five Broken Cameras. Um, but in this little village of olive farmers, the Israeli military had been occupying the village, coming in, just rolling in with big tanks and trucks. And now what they wanted to do was to build a wall that would cut the village off, the homes and stores off from the olive orchards. So the village would be on one side of the wall and the orchards would be on the other side of the wall. This is a very effective way to get farmers to move off of their land, uh, which was the goal. Um, and Imad, my friend, he was one of those farmers. He actually purchased his first camera at the birth of his first child. Um, if you build barriers to keep farmers from working their fields, um, they'll stop. The people of the village would then stand in the way of the bulldozers for days to keep them from building this, this wall. And then the military came in, and before I arrived, the military arrested all of the men in the village who were protesting and had moved them away to a prison in another city. So they'd arrested every male between the ages of 14 and 65 and relocated them to, to a prison. By the time I came to that village with the ambulance team, there were only women, uh, mothers, um, small ch children under the age of 14, and elderly people. And they would still go out and stand in front of the bulldozers. Now, I remember my concern because I was building playgrounds at the time. And I said, I was so concerned for those children because it was, it was very brutal. And I asked one of the elderly women about the children. And she said, there are no children in Belain. And by that, she meant in Arabic, these children have no childhood. Um, I went there with my friend Adam. Adam, was, Adam actually was attached to my ambulance crew. He was a, a reporter, with, a journalist with the Associated Press. He was an AP press reporter. And I sat with the ambulance crew, and we would go out there whenever these protests would happen. 
uh, and treat the villagers when the soldiers would come in and, and attack them. And Adam would take his camera and he would take photographs, interview the villagers, and he would interview the soldiers as well. Uh, we were non-participants, uh, representatives of third-party relief agency and the press. So we were not there to take sides, and, and we did not. Um, I was there mainly just to give albuterol inhalers to people who were having acute asthma attacks from the gas, the tear gas that was just always there. Um, and I treated, and I did transport a small boy who was shot in the head uh, at close range by a soldier with a rubber bullet. Um, rubber bullets are not rubber. It's a, it's a steel shell that's sort of wrapped in rubber. Um, he was eight years old, and it, it, it cracked his skull in two places. At one point, though, on another day when we were there, my friend Adam, the photographer, was walking toward the soldiers across the orchard, taking pictures. And a gas canister, one of these CS gas, a live one, landed very close to him. And these things get hot. They get to be about 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit when they burn through that gas. So they're very flammable. Uh, the gas ignites. The canister had started a fire in the olive orchard. And uh, Adam took a long bough uh, that had fallen from an olive tree, and he was trying to beat back this fire that was spreading through the orchard. And I saw all of this from inside my ambulance at a range of about 100 yards. And then um, I saw also a soldier touch another soldier on the shoulder and point at my friend. And then I saw the second soldier lift his rifle and point it at Adam. And so I jumped out of the ambulance. I started running toward Adam. And I was shouting in Arabic, um, uh, Hamza, Hamza, stop, stop. And then in Hebrew, Atzor, to the soldiers, I was trying to shout, Atzor, stop. Like, this is insanity. Stop. And then um, they started just shooting the rubber bullets at him. Um, and then they stopped and they started just shooting tear gas canisters all over the place. And I shouted to Adam then in English, finally, I said, they don't want you to put the fire out. Stop trying to put the fire out. Because I realized that that's what they, they were trying to do. But then I could, I could hardly breathe. And uh, I was in this gas and my chest started to tighten. And I, I could feel my entire body all on its own. I'd lost all control, and I was fleeing. I was, I was running. I was fleeing. Um, I was running away from Adam, my friend. I was running away from the soldiers. I was running. I, when you flee, it, it, it's like a deer or something. It's impossible to put words to it because it's, you've lost all of your willpower and your intention. And it's very much less, the experience is not so much like running away from something than it is like falling down a mountain. Um, you don't know what your legs are doing. And I fled. I was terrified. Now, um, later I learned that the soldiers that were shooting at my friend had missed. And he had seen them trying to shoot at him. And unlike me, Adam had calmly put down the branch he was holding. And he walked toward the soldiers. Right toward them. And he was taking pictures of them with his camera. And the whole time he was asking them in Hebrew, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Over and over and over again, he walked directly toward the soldiers. 
until he was face to face with them. And another photographer was there, one from the Jerusalem Post, and he took a photograph of Adam with his camera and an Israeli soldier with his rifle. And it was on the front page of the Jerusalem Post the next day, my friend Adam. Um, I have this shame that I carry around with me from that day from, from fleeing, even though it's something that I had no control over. And it was a fear. And whenever I read these stories about Jesus encountering these people, or Ezekiel giving these prophecies, I have to think about the fear that must have accompanied that encounter with Jesus. Why didn't Zacchaeus flee? What, what courage it must have taken him to face that prophecy. I was afraid to die. I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of what would happen to me. Now, later that summer, uh, I, was, I, I finally got a little bit of redemption because I was asked to worship with a group of Christians in Bethlehem, uh, and we were attacked by a group of uh, armed uh, Israeli settlers, and this time I didn't run. I had my Bible. I stood firm, and I learned my heart's rhythm which is nothing more than that old spiritual that says, give me Jesus. You can take all of this world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And that was my prayer. And that was enough. The group worshipped on. All of us together, we were battered and bruised, but we were unbroken. We took communion. And I prophesied to my own bones, to my own chest, breathe, arise, but do not flee. To the panic, I said, I prophesied to my bones, don't flee. Don't flee. I stood strong. Yes. A lot of other bad stuff happened over there. <laughs> I got cholera. Who gets cholera? I got cholera, which I thought, you know, that was like something you got like on the Oregon Trail or whatever. Don't get cholera ever. It's, I saw visions. Whew. <laughs> I laid, down, uh, I laid down on the stones where John the Baptist was beheaded. I slept on stones. I listened to people's stories. But I learned how to stand still because I learned how to be afraid. Now, our God, and what we reflect on today at Totenfest, the season of, season of sundowns, is that our God is at work on resurrection. That's the labor that God's at work. Resurrection is taking something that has died, has been lost, has been crushed, destroyed, and prophesying it, putting back on the garment of life, and snatching it back from death. Not from the doorstep of death, but from within death itself. Ezekiel's bones weren't always bones. And Zacchaeus was Zacchaeus before he became this sainted one in the story. Their people, for the new thing must be born out of resurrection. Sometimes something else has to die. That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. It's the time of autumn, of harvest. Something must die for the new thing to be born. Now, God is at work in us, resurrecting something inside us, and that can be terrifying. 
can be absolutely terrifying. The impulse may be to flee. Having the desire to live, but knowing that death is inevitable, may cause us to flee spiritually from God. I know what that feels like. My fear carried my body far away from my beloved friend in order to keep itself alive. My fear, though, needed to, to die. It needed to die in order to become the courage, the inverse, to become the courage that's born from the death of fear. It does, I, I don't know. I don't know if something for you needs to die today so that your bones can stand up and then we might prophesy to the breath together, saying, enter into these bones. In our old bones, listen to the, the word of God. We say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. These are God's own words. God is at work in resurrection. I think the things that must die must die in order for new life to be born within us. And so, at this time, at the turning of the year, let them die, let them go if something must be let go. And then rest and feel the breath of God enter into your body. And then live again. Amen.